Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The power and the opportunities for quiet. I was just having a little chat with our guest, who I will introduce in just a minute, and mentioned that I had just come back from four days in the desert. And I had realized, you know, (laughs) if you haven't noticed, this has been quite a year that we've all been going through. And I realized that it used to be that I had a lot of energy in my tanks. And so I could be during the day with my clients or recording a podcast or writing a blog or working on my book or doing all of those things. And then at the end of the day, I had plenty of energy left over to spend time with my husband and to listen to him from a place of curiosity and inquisitiveness and grace. And I have noticed that over the last several months, because I think of everything that this last year has entailed, I have had less and less time and space energy. And so everything that I need to pull out of myself gets pulled out for my clients and for my podcast and for working on my book and for doing all the other things that I need and get to be doing to move my business forward. And then maybe you can see where this is going. What my beloved husband gets is what's left over, which is not very much. And what I get is pretty much nothing. And so I realized I'd been really depleted with my husband and with myself. And so so I gave myself a time out. I went to the desert for four days all by myself. And I'm one of these people who gets my energy actually from being by myself. That's a definition of an introvert that I didn't, I wasn't aware of as a younger person growing up. I thought that an introvert was someone who was quiet and an extrovert was someone who was really interested in getting to know other people and very gregarious and engaged. And I think I am that. I am gregarious and engaged and enjoy getting to know other people. But where I get my energy from is being by myself. And so I took myself off to the desert for four days of 
quiet and relaxation and reading silly books and listening to interesting but not particularly insightful (laughs) podcasts. And I just gave myself a break and got really present to the power of quiet. And in my first conversation with Pushpendra Mehta, who we will talk with in just a minute, I got really present with him. He is a a writer and a storyteller, a marketer and a mentor who is really focused on providing solutions to problems spurred by the power of spirituality and observation perception and intuition. And one of the things that he talks about is listening more and querying, which is a word that I just love. It's not in the normal sort of American lexicon, but querying more, being curious about other people. He is the author of the book, Observe to Unmask, a hundred small things to know people better. And he also runs an online course, Observe to Unmask, and you can find that URL in our show notes. Please go and check it out. So he runs this online course, Observe to Unmask, to help people uncover or unmask themselves and others to know who they are and to really encourage self-observation, self-improvement, and really a much deeper connection with other people. He is also contributing writer with Entrepreneur Media, which is the home of Entrepreneur Magazine, and he is a proud alumnus of Northwestern University in Illinois. He's joining us today from Atlanta, Welcome, Pushpendra. Thank you so much for the generous introduction. That's so nice of you. It's absolutely an honor and delight to be on your podcast. You know, whatever you just mentioned in terms of the time you took off to spend with yourself, yes, it's coincidental. But the, one of the reasons I wrote Observe to Unmask is because of what you rightly said, the ability to, to know yourself the ability to know yourself before you know others, mm-hmm. which is self-observation. So you have to know yourself first before you know others. And it's a 365-day, 24-7 work-in-progress exercise. <laughs> so just as this pandemic brought, you know, like you said, it wanted you to somewhere get away from your usual life. Yes, There was epiphany, if I can use the word. I love to observe myself I because that's when I get to know my frailties, my ego trips, my inward and my outward journey. And I'm a work in progress. But one of the things that, that came to my own understanding during the pandemic, particularly in the last six months, I've read about it, I practiced it earlier, but this was one thing that came to the fore, was that, you know, as a writer, as a storyteller, a marketer, or a mentor, you get engaged with with narratives, with stories, with promoting products and services, with clients. But in that entire journey or in that entire rush, you sometimes forget to look at your own self, even though you're very focused on yourself. And somewhere I thought that prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, I, I loved, I, I, I enjoy my own company. I always have, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in the last two decades. 
I've enjoyed my company, enjoyed being with myself. But somewhere, you know, I realized that I needed always some external activity and external stimulation or some person. Uh, and that could be somebody who's meaningful, purposeful, somebody who's very interesting, intelligent and smart. But somewhere I needed to see within myself. And I think what happened was in the last six months, uh, the self-awareness in terms of the ability to enjoy my own company, the mm. ability to be enjoy being with myself, that came back. Where I could be alone and yet not feel lonely. Mm. Where I could be with, you know, people in a bio bubble, mm -hmm. a few families, and yet I could be alone and yet not feel lonely. Mm -hmm. That's something that is something in the last, I'd say, six months that I began to bring back to my own life. Because mm -hmm. I said, you know, this could be something that could last for a few years. Who knows? Right. And we are working remote. We're not seeing that many people. But if you cannot allow boredom, frustration to set in, people mm -hmm. are going through so much in life. Uh, you know, there is death, there's desolation, there's loneliness, there's neglect, there is, uh, you know, incomes, unemployment. And compared to that, you know, if somebody says, oh, I'm getting bored, or if I say <laughs> I'm getting bored, then, you know, I, you know, that's not fair. I mean, fair is an understatement. Yeah. So I told myself I need to start enjoying my own company. And that's, that's something that's happened. And I thank this book. I don't thank myself. I thank the people who made this book happen, all the people, all the, all, you know, all the people who, who made this book happen, who I call my readers, and made me understand that I need to walk my walk and walk the talk. Mm. So I actually thank them. And, you know, it's now as if my definition of being bored has changed. It's as if if you are a boring person, you will get bored. <laughs> if you're an interesting person, you must have the ability to enjoy, not out of narcissism, not yes, out yes. of self-love, right. but be able to enjoy our company. And you could do that by reading, as you rightly said, you and yep. I love reading. You can watch a meaningful podcast, amusing, watch a, I mean, listen to an, a meaningful podcast, watch an interesting, amusing video, pour into the wisdom of ages and sages of people. That is everything that you have on, you know, your most powerful instrument, your cell phone and internet. I mean, it's, it's affordable. So there are ways you can do that. You can just pick up the phone and talk to somebody mm -hmm. and get into an interesting conversation. You can meditate. You can you know, go for a long walk. There is so much more that a country like the United States provides, unlike a lot of other parts of the world, mm -hmm. that you know, available for free. So in that sense, yeah, that has been my greatest epiphany in the last six months. That's wonderful. So I am 100% sure that, that our listeners are now understanding why it is that I enjoy talking with you so much. You are so insightful and so graceful, and your accent is so charming. I love the way that you say epiphany. I just, you're a, I think in, in the book, you reference that you have always been sort of a gentle a gentle person, a gentle soul. And, and that comes across, not that you are, you know, because words are so important, not, not that there's anything unsubstantial about you. You are a very substantial, very interesting, very curious person who also has a a gentleness, a grace about you, a which occurs to me as an invitation. It occurs to me as an invitation to be with you in in a way that 
we don't always get to be with each other. You know, one of the things that was so wonderful and remarkable to me about our first conversation is having never met each other before, we talked about spirituality and we talked about things about our childhood. And, and you know, it was, it was an instantly deep and, and connecting conversation. And I, I finished that conversation thinking, oh, I just... I so enjoy this person and he is he is such a delight and it was because of that ability that that you have this this thing that you create where it is it is an invitation to to come deeper and I'm wondering if that has a connection to this observe to unmask that as you have gone on this journey of unmasking yourself and helping others to unmask themselves, if that that I see as an invitation in you, if that has been augmented through that journey. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm on top of the world. That is so gracious and generous of you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm a writer, but I fall short of words. Uh, thank you is a small word, and it's the only word I can think of. But thank you so much. You know, it's a very interesting question that you ask. I mentioned this in Observe to Unmask, and perhaps that's where, if 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 I am, if I am, and like I said, you know, I have my frailties, I have my weaknesses. If I am gentle and kind, then we inherit certain qualities from our parents, just as yes. we inherit wealth. Some of us do, some of us don't. We inherit the agreeable and disagreeable qualities. <laughs> Perhaps my father, who was, you know, a very senior banker, mm. I had an example that uh, he was, a, he still is a very gentle and kind person. Mm. And he used to always tell me that if you have to throw your weight, don't do it with people of your equal. Mm. Don't do it with people who work for you or who you think in the hierarchy are lower in economic rank or status. Mm -hmm. If you have to throw your weight, throw your weight in trying to improve yourself. Mm. So I think when he said is, he said, you know, that you can, you can be kind and gentle, but be firm. Mm. Uh, th that's different that he's kind and gentle and he still hasn't figured out the definition of being firm. <laughs> but that's one thing that, you know, that's one thing I learned that, you know, if you observe your parents, don't have to be judgmental, but if you observe your parents, they have the agreeable and the disagreeable qualities. They have the positive and the negatives. So if you want to inherit the positive attributes, then you must be able to, while you respect them, you must be able to say, okay, this is good, but what is missing? Mm. So I'm kind and gentle, but I realized that over a period, because I'm forgiving from mm. my father's, what I've learned from him, People tend to come and take advantage of the situation. Mm. I've allowed mm -hmm. myself also be taken to be taken advantage of. Sure. I mean, I, that's fine. If it helps somebody prosper and flourish, no problem. Absolutely. Take advantage. <laughs> Having said that, it should not affect the people in my personal life mm -hmm. because it's not fair to them. Right. Whether it's my wife, it's you know one of my loved ones. So I realized that's important to care, you know, to care, to share, to love, to respect, to empathize, and to listen. It's very important to do all of that. Mm -hmm. But when you love, you should not spoil. When you mm -hmm. share, you should not give all you have. When you empathize, you should not be overprotective. Mm -hmm. When you listen, you should not be subservient. And when you care, people should know that you care, but you also have to care for yourself. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's important 
to keep this, you know, as you mentioned the word querying, and it's important to be curious, querying. It's in, when you understand human behavior, you understand people, it's important to speak less, query more, and listen intently. And a part of being gentle and kind is to tell yourself that the other person you are getting into a conversation with, striking or developing a relationship or forming an association with, the other person is equally important. So mm -hmm. whether it's a conversation, a digital conversation, a phone conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you have to respect the other person and make the conversation about the other person. The moment you make the conversation about the other person, converse about topics that are of interest to him or her. Mm -hmm. That's when you will automatically become more, more of a gentle and a kind person. So you can care, share, respect, empathize, and listen. And you can, you can allow each other to to develop each other to talk and each other to know better but in that sense i think you know it's the same old thought that you would like to give respect to the other person and treat the other person as you would want to be respected as mm -hmm. you would want to be treated and if that happens if a kind and a firm word can make things happen you don't need to uh, you know you lose your temper or treat people you know, unfavorably so in that sense i think observing observing to unmark self observation if people come to me for any advice i always tell them that you know the first thing is you must make sure that your communications is not abrasive harsh or rude the mm -hmm. most of our relationships that's where we lose the the script mm -hmm. so a part of being you know kind and gentle it's very powerful i think it's very easy to be brash and abrasive and dismissive and patronizing and condescending in a power equation anybody who is far more successful than you anybody who has more money has a is more you know more powerful in terms of a title or a job or a business it's very easy but to be kind and gentle and giving is tougher. So in the long run, I do believe that helps. So I try and do my best. I have my failings and you need to ask my wife, you know, whether <laughs> I fail this or I pass the test. Because the outside world, you know, I can be the best, but you know, if my wife says no, then you know, it right. means very little. <laughs> that, and that's what I had realized that I was getting to the point where uh, if you had asked my husband, is is she really as thoughtful and interesting and kind and blah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. he seems, he would have said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not what I want for the man that I've chosen to to walk this person. So, uh, so I took myself on a timeout. And that concept of... You know, this this idea of of self-care, of taking care of yourself, it's one that I've only really heard about in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, probably less than that, maybe even five. And and I think for women in particular, we can get hung up on that because we have been, many of us have been taught as children that we are supposed to, we're supposed to be nice. Girls are supposed to be nice. And nice gets collapsed in with kind. Mm -hmm. And it also gets collapsed in with with things like selflessness and generosity. And we can then end up losing ourselves in right. service to other people. And we can forget to 
to stand up for ourselves, or or mm-hmm. we we've sort many of us have sort of along the way realized that we've lost a muscle, we've lost that knowing of what the difference is between nice, which I sort of think of as don't rock the boat, don't make any don't make any problems, be accommodating, and kind, and we can say all of us, not just women, all humans, we can say things that are important, that are uh, sometimes hard to hear, that are, but that are speaking truth to power, that are, that are things that need to be said and still be kind. Mm -hmm. We can't do it and still be nice. We can't do it and not rock the boat. We're going to rock the boat, (laughs) but we can remember to be kind and give up being nice. That's that's one of my personal quests that I'm on for myself is to give up being give up being nice and embrace being kind. That's very powerful. Okay. Very powerful. Absolutely. And that's why you know it you're so very right in what you say that kind is it. And kind is in words, it's in actions, it's in thoughts, it's in belief. And it's in a it's in the way you conduct yourself. Mm-hmm. It's also the way you look at somebody. The mm-hmm. way I look at somebody, my eyes can also have a kind look. Mm-hmm. Just as you look at a pet, mm-hmm. uh, you can look at somebody else's pet. Mm-hmm. Or you see a child, or you see somebody else's child, or you see somebody in pain, or you see somebody in grief, or you also see somebody who has been, you know, who has caused you in some form or the other a lot of agony. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the person suffers, the first stroke of the first thought is not revenge, but you're like, yeah, good, you know. Aha, karma. Aha, the aha moment, (laughs) the karma, karma. exactly. So that's where I think the word kind also sets in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, each of the important religions in the world have said something nice about it. Forgiveness, compassion Mm -hmm. is a part of being kind. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, somewhere on a day-to-day level, the word kind has to do with, with a lot of, in the choice of words that we use. Do we use words that are energizing, uplifting, mm-hmm. uh, positive? Are the more of our words with the affirmative expressions like yes. Mm-hmm. So a kind also, where you can be kind like you rightly said, but you want to make sure that people don't walk over you. So right. you can be firm. And that's why it goes back to one thing. You have to self-respect yourself. You have to value yourself. You have to not, like I said, not to the point of being conceited or pompous or narcissism, but to if you cannot respect yourself, what are you going to teach your children? Mm-hmm. So if I can't respect myself, well, I tell, you know, if I had a daughter, would I tell my daughter, you know, when you get married, allow yourself to be abused or discriminated? So I have to, I have to, I hope not. So if I I have to make sure that while we're being nice and kind, we must give ourselves respect because if we can't respect ourselves, honestly, we cannot respect the relationships we have developed professionally or personally. I so agree. And I thought that one of the things that you said, and now I'm just searching for it for a second. We were talking about our need to to understand ourselves and for self care, and that uh, it, it's it's sort of that idea. Back in the days when we could fly, put on <laughs> our mask first before we put right. on else's mask. And so, when we have that self compassion, when we have that self care, 
when we have that self understanding and self-reflection. I think it also then enables us, as you were saying, to when we come from a place where we can see the child or the puppy in other people, when we can see that is divine in us and in others, when we come from that place, things just go much better. And I don't know about you, but my capacity to to see from that place, to see Mm -hmm. from the divine that is in me, connecting to the divine that is in you, is very much connected to how much attention I've been paying to making sure that I'm okay, to getting getting my tanks filled, getting ensuring that I have enough capacity in me for for generosity and for kindness and for empathy and and that when I take care of myself, then it's a lot easier for mm. me to see that is divine that which is divine in you. Even if you and I are having a hard time, if I've taken care of myself, then I, it's easier for me. Absolutely. That's a lovely thought. You know, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. And you put it very beautifully. Thank you. So I was really struck in the book of the different masks that we all wear. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, obviously this is a metaphor. We don't literally walk around with masks on, but there there are people who get to see different pieces and different parts of us. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that that I've been really curious about in my work is the pressure that the young folks who are coming, younger folks Mm -hmm. who are coming into the workforce, the millennials and now the Gen Zs coming out, they are really demanding that Mm -hmm. work is meaningful. And so whether I'm the CEO or whether I am sweeping the floors, that I have a real understanding of the contribution that I make, of why it is that my work makes a difference, and of how what what we are all doing as an organization is helping to make the world a better place. Right. And I'm wondering if they have gotten better at removing some of their masks, if they have found some of the special sauce to engage with the world in a maybe slightly more unmasked way. What are your thoughts on that? That's a very good question. I have been, uh, you know, I have been a career mentor. I've mentored millennials and Gen Z for for many years. I've written a book called Tomorrow is Young Achievers, Mm -hmm. which provides... 31 radical insights for a, for a very different tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, having said that, that one of the things I've noticed is, and I believe millennials and Gen Z, the younger ones particularly, hmm. I think they are going to get it right. They are not going to, there are exceptions, of course, but most of them, and I hope I'm true, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be right on this, uh-huh. they are not going to repeat the same mistakes that their parents or their grandparents or the generations made earlier. Mm -hmm. It is a different world, but because they're exposed to so much, social media has both positives and negatives. They are color, they are colorblind in many, in many cases. Mm -hmm. They're more empathetic, compassionate. I mean, they're the pros and cons of being exposed to so much (laughs) so early on in life. But if you were to just focus on the positives, 
many of them, you mentioned the word purposeful, meaningful. They just want to pursue what they love. Mm -hmm. They want to make it their careers. They mm -hmm. want to pursue everything in passion. They want to question everything. They're not going to just accept anything, everything you tell them. Mm -hmm. So if they want to be a vegan and people in the family, everybody's a carnivore and they believe that they want to be a vegan or mm -hmm. they want to be a flexitarian or mm -hmm. a pescatarian or a vegetarian, they are going to do it with a certain amount of understanding, whether it's backed by research, whether it's backed by conversations with people, their friends mm -hmm. or people in the family or outside. So mm -hmm. I think part of this entire transition where you are, again, this will result in observation, conversation, analysis, curiosity, mm -hmm. listening, making their own mistakes also, which I think sure. everybody should be allowed <laughs> to, which is fine because every generation, you know, all of us make our mistakes. So I think they are definitely, in my mind, going to be far more evolved, are going to get there faster. And I hope, and I hope that, you know, some of the things that have, they have inherited, this world that they have inherited, particularly the negatives that they've inherited, mm -hmm. uh, realistically, I don't know if they can get rid of a lot of the demons, mm -hmm. but they can certainly make a difference in terms of environment, cultural aspects, discrimination, diversity, inclusion, abuse, you know, making the world a smaller place, making it, like you said, a better place. That's something I do hope for. And I think they also, to be very fair, they would have the ability to take more risks because for earlier generations, in many cases, particularly for immigrants, it wasn't easy if they were, you know, they had everything and they, in many cases, they left everything to come to another world. In yep. many cases, you know, they just came and built a very successful life. Many of them could not pursue what they wanted to do, what they loved, what they cherished. The younger generation, particularly if they're, you know, middle class, upper middle class or belong to the rich and affluent, will have that many more options. And unlike, you know, 10, 20 years, years ago or earlier, it took 30 years to become a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Today, you can do it. You, I mean, you can become a millionaire. You start a career in your 20s and get it right. You know, you can take risks. You don't have the pressures of, oh, I need to conform to an American life. I need <laughs> to have, I need to get married by this particular age and I have a home by this age, or I want to have a suburban living. Many of them are going to abandon that. They are going to be mm -hmm. choosing their own forms of accommodation. Mm -hmm. So some of them may say, you know, I don't want to buy a home. I'm just going to rent all my life. Yep. I don't need a car. I don't need a vehicle. I don't need a car. I don't need a driving license. Right. You know, robotics, AI. And the entire world, many of them are embracing spiritual thoughts and uh, religious and spiritual thoughts of other cultures, mm -hmm. making those travels and excursions and trips, which earlier generations could not do for economic reasons. And sometimes because of sacrifice that they had to make for their families and sometimes out of their own choices or were not open to it. So I think I do believe and I concur with you that this generation, we do have a particularly the Gen Z and, and millennials, we do have a lot of lot of hope. And I'm hoping that, you know, they prove people like me right. <laughs> I believe that they will. And, you know, this has been this last year has been full of so many things that have been so hard. And, you know, there are always silver linings in in the in the times that are hard. And we 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 never really grow when things are easy, when we grow as individuals and as the collective is when things are hard. And, Absolutely. you know, one of one of the hopes that I had, which has not yet materialized, was that the pandemic would actually help bring people together. You know, obviously not in not in a physical way, but in a metaphysical way and help to to 
have the feeling that that we are all in this together. And mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I don't think that that is transpiring. But that's part of the hope that I have for the younger generations is is because they have been less hampered by some of the things that uh, that we uh, older generations bought into. Mm-hmm. And and were enculturated in that they have a much different heart and mind for people who are different from them. And so if they happen to be of one income level, they don't see someone who's another of another income level or another Absolutely. race or another gender or another gender right. identification as worse. They just see them as different. And right. I think that there's so much potential and opportunity, you know, the conversations that have been having uh, happening since the murder of George Floyd back in May, I think have been so hard and so eye-opening for so many people and so heart-opening for so many people that it continues to feel to me like we are on the the cusp of Mm -hmm. a new day where we look at somebody and we understand that the outwardness of us is just the shell that houses the the inwardness of us. And so if I'm skinny or I'm fat or I'm brown or I'm beige or I'm red or yellow or white or black, it's just the exterior that mm-hmm. that houses what is inside of me. And that is actually what there is to be interested about. The the outward trappings, you know, really, who cares that much? What what I'm curious about is is what is in inside of you. Absolutely. Very well said, very evocatively, very beautifully said. The jewels are all inside of us. It's a question of inside. Uh, it's just a question of tapping the jewels that are inherently, you know, each of us are gifted. And I, I, you're right. I think, I think this generation, the younger lot, um, particularly in their twenties and early thirties, I think they've started out on the right path, and they will get to the jewels. At least, them. <laughs> At least I did, or my generation did. Here's to finding the jewels. So I'm I'm noticing we're starting to run short on time. So mm-hmm. Pushpendra, if you had a magic wand and you could have people pay attention to one thing, either something that we have been talking about or something else, what would you love for that to be and, and why? That's a very good question. If time permits, can I say two? Please. The first thing I've noticed is that for any good relationship to evolve, or when we talk about self-observation or observation, most of us believe, at least I did, that people change. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic, we were talking about pandemic, made us realize that most people don't change. They become more of what they always were. Mm-hmm. So, but we... We think that people have immigrated, they've got educated, there is a certain sense of elegance, refinement, sophistication, travel, so people change. Mm-hmm. But at the core, until unless a person wants to change out of his or her own, own volition, people don't. So 
the two most important things I do see when it comes to relationships and otherwise is something which is not highlighted very often is the part of what you call emotional stinginess, mm-hmm. not financial stinginess, mm-hmm. which again goes back to everything we've discussed so far, which is that are we or are most people when it comes to being appreciative? So if I want to, uh, people can be, let me, let me put it the other way. People are appreciation stingy. They're mm-hmm. compliment stingy, mm-hmm. they're affection stingy, they are gratitude stingy, and they're apologizing stingy. Mm. So if you cannot thank people profusely, but you expect to be, you know, you expect people to show their gratitude to you, compliment you wholeheartedly, but mm-hmm. you cannot do that. It takes us saying a sorry also mm-hmm. is, is an exercise. I'm sorry, but we can't do it from our heart. We need to thank somebody for somebody, the gestures that they've shown. So that's one thing I feel, particularly during the pandemic and otherwise, gratitude, compliments, appreciation, apology, thank yous. Please do it wholeheartedly. Make people feel bigger and happier and more important than you. We're not going to get small with that. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I think anytime I'm you know, observing people and I feel that you know, if I'm trying to get close to somebody, that's an attribute I do. I do. I do hope more and more people have because that's something which makes you more endearing as a person and allows you to have these intimate relationships, not just relationships, but actually intimate and close relationships. So that's one. Mm -hmm. The other part that often goes unnoticed, you know, generally, which I think is, again, very, very important is the fact that if you want to really know someone very well, all you have to do is you don't need to be a psychologist, but that will help you because it helps you identify a suitable partner. Mm -hmm. It helps you understand professionally who are the colleagues, the co-workers or, or, you know, in business, who are the partners you want to align with Mm -hmm. or develop a good professional or personal relationship with. So the identification and building relationships that will make you, will work for you and make you happier. That's one thing that helps is, Whenever, before you allow anybody to get close to you, you know, please try and understand what his or her journey was, life journey was, particularly pay attention to the first 18 to 21 years of their life. You don't have to be, you just have to be curious to -hmm. find more about the person. It's it's surprising what we lack is what we pursue Mm -hmm. and what we lack is what we are today. So if a person, you'd see some people, always hanker for love, attention, importance, validation, happiness, or peace. Or that's because an emotional need went unfulfilled or between the age of, uh, you know, by the time the entire journey from, from being a child to an adult, they did not get the love, importance, solid, solid, the social validation and attention. That's why they hanker for it. Mm-hmm. So there are some people who go after money all their lives, go after fame all their lives. That's the only thing they want. You know, they think about money, they dream about money, they chase money, or they only want fame and the power and the recognition that comes with it. That's mm-hmm. because in the first 18 or 21 years, they did not see any money. Mm-hmm. So if you are trying to figure the compatibility between relationships, if you want to find a suitable partner for yourself, don't want to land up in you know a marriage that you're going to regret or you know a professional association or have a business partner you're, you know, uh, you're, you're going to be starting mm-hmm. a startup with. It's mm-hmm. important to know what what their life was because that's what that's what frames them. So I think these are two important things that I would recommend people figure out pe- people's 
the first 21 years of a person's journey. Most people thereafter, very few really want to change. Most of them want to be what they were and become more of what they were. And mm-hmm. second is what I just said, which is that please notice how emotionally stingy or emotionally lavish a person is. Ah, oh, I love that. I was just talking with an organization yesterday about, you know, a lot of a lot of business owners and CEOs and even people in human resources. We think that what's going to keep staff around, what's going to have our our people be loyal to us is more money. And and it's just not true. Once people have enough money and you know obviously enough money is different in different parts of the world right but, right but once you have enough money then really what matters is all of those things that you were just talking about is appreciation is gratitude is is really when and and one of the things that i enjoy so much about you is is actually the way you appreciate is the gratitude that you show it is so lovely and it is unfortunately not very common and so it is even then more lovely but what i was talking with this this organ this company about the ceo is that he's paying his people just fine they're getting plenty of money now his opportunity is to lean into gratitude and not just mm-hmm. good job, but right. great job on this specific thing that you did. And here's why it made a difference. Like really appreciate the, the time and the energy and the effort. And even if they gave great effort and it was still a complete flop, appreciate right. the effort appreciate the energy that went into it and i think it's i think it's such an important message thank you so much for that uh, no, no, absolutely. What you said is absolutely right. Because, you know, it, you know, I believe in karma and we were discussing that. Mm-hmm. And if you, if I can just dig in one minute into a, one aspect of karma that often mm-hmm. gets ignored, which is that we believe that karma is where, you know, science and spirituality meet or the ancient and modern meet. It is about cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And it is about action and reaction and sowing and reaping. Yes, it is. But what constitutes good karma and bad karma? There is a karma currency, just as there is a digital currency and a cryptocurrency and the dollar and the yen and you know the pound, the euro. There is a karma currency, which constitutes uh, our words, our habits, our actions, our beliefs, and our thoughts. Con- you know, they constitute the good or the bad karma. Mm-hmm. So, if appreciation, apology, gratitude, sharing, caring, uh, all of these constitute your good karmas. Now, if for some reason you made all this effort to take out that one hour to speak with me mm-hmm. and I can turn around and say, oh, well, you know what? I'm actually doing you a favor. No, you're doing a favor to me. <laughs> so if I can keep that in mind, similarly as an organization, if, you know, I always, I always, whenever I pay a compliment to somebody, I observe two things. Has the person accepted it with class or conceit? So as an organization, you made a very important point that if a person can make it more, it can make it beyond money. If you come and tell me, Pushpendra, you did a terrific job and I can return the compliment or pass the credit to either the almighty, to somebody who is a direct report of mine, mm-hmm. a peer mm-hmm. or a colleague or a co-worker, actually mm-hmm. share the credit with profusion. Mm-hmm. or return the compliment, then either I am a person who is very large-hearted, 
a person who is actually shrugging the compliment of my shoulders and giving it to somebody mm-hmm. who is either, like I said, in similar economic rank or status, better mm-hmm. to do it with people who work for you, who you know could be reporting to you. When you do that, you actually go from being just uh, somebody who has been humble and down to earth, but you actually go from being humble and down to earth to being classy and very, very large hearted. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where your karma ties in. Otherwise, you know, if you're all, if you're only becoming resorting to toxic and negative words, you're going to be discouraging, belittling, uh, skeptic, reeking of self-doubt, resentment. Or if you're going to make sure that uh, you, it's only going to be about anger, greed, gossiping. At some point in time, that is going to bounce back both personally and professionally in your life. I cannot, I mean, you've seen life, more of life than perhaps I have. And professionally, how things, you know, just whatever goes around, comes around. And it's a matter of time. It's a matter, it can happen 10 years later, 20 years later, it happens. And then you wonder what happened? Why did you do it? (laughs) Each of these things, each of these things are a part of your karma currency. Well, so here's to finding the jewels inside of us and in others, taking care of ourselves, putting on our masks first so that then we can find that that is divine in others. And here's to leaning into gratitude and appreciation and acknowledgement and increasing our positive karma. So Pushprendor Mehta, I want to, from the deep bottom of my soul. I want to thank you for your for your time, for your wisdom, for your insights, for your gentleness, for your strength. I am so proud and pleased to know you and thank you so much for spending some time here with us today on the cost of not paying attention. <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know. I, I really have, like I said, I'm falling short of words. Thank you. Is a, a, thank you so very much. That is so sincere, genuine and heartfelt. I need to, in fact, I need to reciprocate this because I truly feel this has been one of the best and most riveting conversations I've had in a very long time. And mm-hmm. it's all because, you know, somebody great said that the ability to ask the right questions is what makes a conversation interesting. You not only have asked very good questions, you've been a very good listener. You have, you know, you have observed the nuances of a conversation and brought it out so beautifully in such an expressive manner that I cannot thank you enough. This has been the absolute pleasure and delight. And this is something where I'm going to be absorbing this, ruminating about it. Mm-hmm. And this is going to go on in my mind for, you know, days on end. Thank you so much. <laughs> it has been an absolute honor. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And I really hope that our listeners have enjoyed it as much as we both have. I am Janine Hamner Holman, and this has been The Costs of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.